Welcome to another episode of the Myths That Make Us podcast. Uh, it's been three or four weeks since I released an episode, and that just by coincidence happened to coincide with Graham, my producer and best friend, being out of town for a couple of weeks because he honors his soul and chose to go on a adventure out into nature, which I have been called to do for the last three months, which I haven't done because I self-abandoned myself in order to work extra hard so I can feel worthy of love. And while he was out of town, I didn't get anything done for the podcast, um, but he's back. And so this podcast is now coming to you. So shout out to Graham for both abandoning me by honoring himself and then coming back and helping me manifest this shit. Uh, on today's episode, we have on Jamie Kilstein. Uh, he is a comedian who has gone through a very interesting personal history, um, and we'll get a little bit into it on the podcast, but he's one of those rare comedians who have dared to start to do, quote unquote, the work and risk potentially not being funny anymore. And he's ended up becoming more funny. Uh, he's, the name of his podcast is called A Fuck-Up's Guide to Self-Help. And he helps people who are trying to navigate mental health, but also jujitsu and creative practices. And it's such an interesting combination. There's something about being a comedian that makes people more honest than normal. And there's this weird thing in the spiritual community where people seem to bypass owning their genuine flaws for hashtag positive vibes only, hashtag 5D, hashtag, hashtag king and queen, you know? And uh, the opposite side of that is the over self-deprecation that a comedian can use to destroy themselves. So he's got this really interesting combination. And so it's a lot of fun to talk to him. And this podcast was an interesting one. We just kind of organically started to talk about each of us trying to navigate dating in this modern context where we have like platforms, which is a weird thing to even comprehend, and that our platforms kind of function as like dating websites at the same time. And we talk about stuff that I haven't talked about on any podcast. So it's going to be interesting uh, to see how you guys respond and think about this podcast. So that's what it's going to be. And if you would like to support, the best way that you can do that is sign up for my newsletter because eventually the uh, censoring tech titans will probably take away Facebook and Instagram from anyone who's doing anything cool. But email seems to be the last frontier slash first frontier slash most enduring frontier. So uh, if you want to not have to see me put a weird symbol inside of the word sex or vaccine in order to even talk about it, get on my newsletter. Um, I also have a journaling course and a uh, guided meditation course. The first one is called Make Your Myth. You can check that out on my website, ericgotti.com. And then the guided meditation slash uh, connecting to your daemon, which will haunt you if you don't answer the call of your dharma. So buy at your own peril. Uh, that's the Dharma Journal. And you guys can find that at thedharmajournal.com. And as always, thank you for your time and for your attention. Um, we're in a fucking maelstrom of 
confusion and noise and the fact that you come here for a little bit of refuge means a lot to me. So thank you. I love you. Enjoy. So what were you saying? Uh, so this is, this is new and I'm, I'm taking responsibility for it, but the, the pattern that has happened since I started dating again has been, they've moved too fast, freaked themselves out and then broke up with me. So in the same day, so what we were talking about before I perhaps regrettably down the line, uh, <laughs> like, yeah, fuck it. Turn the mics on. Um, is that I've been very like codependent relationship, uh, monogamy focused. And then, so sometimes when I try to casually date, that's just like how I know how to flirt, right? Which like, it seems so normal to me, but now that I actually assess it, it's like, yeah, first dates, you're not usually like, oh, and then the second time I tried to kill myself or, you know, sharing that kind of stuff or like, I just want to find someone to like live on the road with and paint. It's like, yeah, of, fucking, of course that doesn't scream out. Like, let's just have sex and be homies, you know? Um, and so it's, ha it's happened twice since I've been here is seemingly casual, hitting it off, certainly a connection. Like I can't really sleep with anyone, uh, even casually, if there's not like some kind of connection. And uh, then the next day they will either say, one of them said, I love you. And one of them said, um, this is how I want you to propose to me. And then <laughs> later that night, it's like, you know, when like, uh, like your dog scares itself. Like later that night, they go, hey, I have to end this. So it's not, I have to end it, you're moving too fast. It's, I have freaked myself out and gone back on the things that I said I was gonna do and this scares the shit out of me, yeah. peace. And I've just been kind of like, all right, like, bye. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I feel called to kind of bring in a larger context because now we have the third entity in the room, which is like the audience. And I think that this, because you're so candid and honest and vulnerable that it can give the personal to a much larger, much more interesting thing that I've never talked about on the podcast. Yeah. And it's like, um, we have essentially, like there is a part of our nature. Um, I believe it's Voltaire that said, we have a God-shaped hole in our heart yes. and we need to go fill it. Yep. And um, there's this idea by some Jungian psychologists. <clears throat> I don't know who the main one is that put it forward, but there's a bunch that have written books on it. But that my guess is Carl Jung. Get them. <laughs> that um, with the death of God, you know, like mm -hmm. Nietzsche put forward, like we lost the God shape image that we could put inside the hole in our heart. Right. And so what Western culture did <clears throat> that was specific and unique is that in the death of like a monolithic religion, we created this thing called romanticism. Mm. And it started with the bards in medieval times and they started to put forth these stories of these knights that would act in this way that put forth this, this code of chivalry. And what the Jungians like dissected was that um, essentially the first time in modern times, the story was put forth that there was this type of love where like two people get caught and they're on fire and they don't act in accord with what their parents want for them and what their parents' parents wanted. And it wasn't about a functional mm -hmm. arrangement to like create children that wouldn't die from starvation. It was this new idea that was actually a 
alchemizing of the death of the collective religious function that Western people now sought to get in right. romantic relationship. Right. And that uh, we are the great grandchildren of that movement where most of us are seeking to fill a hole in us that can only be f- be filled by the divine. Yes, and well, and then the reason it gets even more fucked up and 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 toxic or crazy is because when you go to church, you're not just like, I wonder if Jesus like saw someone else like last <laughs> week. Like you're not getting jealous, you're not getting horny, right. you're not getting uh, your ego's not involved. You're not thinking about you know, uh, you know. I mean, people have obviously like issues and trauma like based on religion and how they were raised, but you know, when you're filling that hole with also something that is so personal and so biologically necessary yet weird slash we don't have it figured out, um, then it adds this whole other host of emotions. And so- Right, you're taking one of the most potent combustible materials, which is (laughs) this like romantic love thing, but then instead of it being in a container that's been molded over thousands of years of people trying to create the sacred rites and the sacred acts and the institutions and the buildings to hold this energy because the containers died. It's like, we got it. We put that energy on top of sexual reproduction, which is something that evolution has actually created for us. Our egos are created to fulfill the function of sexual reproduction And when you start to get into evolutionary psychology, the tactics that men and women have evolved to essentially complete that goal, it's not kind, it's not sweet, it's not peaceful. And so like a tremendous amount of the suffering that happens um, in relationship is that we're essentially trying to navigate our evolutionary drives to try to experience transcendence. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then you mix into that, you know, trauma. Past. Yep. I was just thinking that. Yep. Rejection, uh, family history, all that stuff. And, you know, uh, so many of, like, when I look back on my relationships, so many of the ones that, like, even the ones that, like, exploded, like, we do not speak to each other. I've really been trying to look back on those and be like, there was still a lot of great stuff. And it was still two broken people desperately trying to make it work. And even, you know, some people's mistakes. I just read Esther Perel's book on infidelity. I think mm-hmm. it's called State of Affairs. And so many people who cheated, and this happened to me, you know? I mean, I, I cheated once, but when I did, it was, woof, like big. And um, legitimately think they're saving the relationship where they just go, well, everything else is perfect. We have, whether it's kids or a business or just like a bond, a past, friendship, whatever. And we've turned into friends. We've stopped having sex. We've whatever. And suddenly they go have this affair and they're just like lit up. And they're like, that's right. I'm like a sexual being and I'm confident and whatever. And then I can still go home and take care of my kids and whatever. And it's obviously where you're screwing up is the honesty, the communication, maybe ending something that should have been ended. Um, that's another thing I think about, which is so yeah, many relationships. You have to lie to do it. You're not doing it right. You're not doing it right. Exactly. And, but examining what caused it is also, I think, important. And I think about too, you know, when I was, last year was literally the first year I've ever been single over quarantine. 
ever um, since I started dating. And I was reading books on non-monogamy, but I was also reading a lot of books by like celibate monks. And the over- I'll take both extremes, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's what I do. That's my life. And even now, I'm like, should I be vegan or should I be keto? Should I be fucking, should I be celibate or should I be polyamorous? It's like, homie. Um, but I think that one, their diagnosis of what we're doing incorrectly is right, like monogamous people. Um, What's interesting, and we can talk about this more, is that something is off, I think, is right. But I don't think any of the people who are coming at it with one lens is diagnosing totally. the true root. Well, that's why like, I like taking the the approach I take to, to fighting, you know, the Bruce Lee approach of like, take what's useful, disregard what's useless, add right. what's your own. You can do that with relationships. Like you can say, hey, I want the non-possessiveness of polyamory. I want the independence of these fucking monks and going inside. I want, you know, whatever. Um, And learning from all of them. And also, and this goes back to what you were saying about this sort of fairy tale uh, uh, romanticizing, which is... And it's not that it's wrong. It's just being aware that it's being done. Yeah, well, but I also think that I wonder how many of, Everyone listening of our relationships that were just like, oof, like that breakup was messy. If we ended it a year earlier or six months earlier, if it actually could have been really loving. Right. You know what I mean? And I think because of this stigma of either being alone, especially as I get older, like I just turned 39, like, okay, I'm single and divorced and 39. Like if I'm going by stereotypes, I'm like, oh, am I failing? Um, but also the stigma of like, if you divorced, you fucked up. If you broke up, you fucked up. As opposed to how actually brave it would be to be like, hey, we both grew a lot in this relationship. It, we're nearing the expiration date. Like, what if we just walked away? And it's harder then, right? It's easier to walk away when you're angry or when you fucked up or when you're kicked yeah. out or whatever compared to really sadly, my last breakup before going single, becoming single, I think that was one of the reasons I chose to do it. It was actually a month or two before lockdown. So it wasn't because of lockdown. Lockdown just held me like accountable when I was like, you know, maybe I could fuck. And then God was like, COVID. Um, <laughs> the, the breakup was so nice and right. And we just, we kind of figured out we were like settling for each other a little bit and it was loving and sad. And I helped her move out. And I was like, you know what, this is such a healthy breakup and realization that now's my chance to like go in and figure some of this stuff out. Um, I think if you could do more like that, I, I do wonder if some of these disasters would be averted if we were like, yeah, we can be monogamous, but maybe not judging it by you're a failure if you're not together, you know, till forever. So there's a couple of things that come up. Um, The first one is the thing that you touched on at the very beginning when you were talking about like the reanimation of spirit that can come from infidelity. Uh, One of the things that the Jungians around this space have articulated that like has stuck with me for a decade is that when you meet the other mm-hmm. and uh, they're of the gender that you know activates you, you have an inner idea, an inner ideal of what your soulmate is. <clears throat> and from a Jungian standpoint, 
that's the um, personification of your soul. Like what the mm-hmm. ego is to the outside mm-hmm. world, which is how you express. And like for you, it's like how you express as a male body with a male ego that's been constructed by this culture. What you are to your inner world is the opposite of that. And it's fundamentally feminine. Mm. And you have this, you have a personality type with how you interrelate to the divine that we project onto people that we fall in love with. Right. And that um, you need the person with the right frame, but then you project your movie over top their movie. Yep. And that that infatuation is really you being in love with your, what Jung would call your anima. Mm-hmm. You're projecting your anima onto this new frame and it feels like, it feels like home. Yeah. It feels like I've known you forever. One of the things that people love to say in the spiritual community to bypass this is to say, I feel like I've known you for lifetimes. I was just going to say that. And yeah. That might be true on some cases, but most of the cases I see it, it's people using the spiritual language to reinforce this um, habit that we do. Or the toxic shit feels familiar. I mean, that's something I've been learning that I didn't even think about. I want to get to the end of this thing. Okay, cool. That um, what they have found is that for about 12 to 16 months, they're able to hold the reflection and you're in passionate love with this thing that feels so special. That timeline adds up. <laughs> and then every time you interact with them, little pixels of the screen of the big 4K TV of their true self starts to pierce through your projection. Katsy, I feel this in my soul. I'm like physically reacting to this. <laughs> and if you've ever looked at an optical illusion, <clears throat> um, before it's explained to you that it can be seen another way, you can't see it that way. But once you look at it long yes. enough, and the most classic example is like the picture that both looks like it could be an old woman with a very large nose or a really young, beautiful woman who's turned away, mm-hmm. that once you look at it long enough, there's a complete reversal. And then for the first time, you can see the other image clearly. And there's yeah. almost... And the way that our perceptual systems work is that to apprehend the reversal, you can't see how it used to be until you flip all the way back. And that we all have this in relationships. Yeah. That if you're with someone long enough where you actually get enough of their true pixels to come through, there's this foreground, background reversal that happens just like in optical illusions. And the way we interpret that is, oh, they're not who I thought they were. Right. Or, oh, they tricked me. Or, oh, I'm just not in love with them anymore. And that the Jungian invitation to that is that is actually the opportunity where you get the chance to begin having a relationship with the other person. Yeah, well, okay. So I was going to ask you, because whenever I hear you on like Aubrey or Kyle's podcast, I'm just like shouting questions. Um, (laughs) so So I have a pragmatic question for you then. And you may have just answered it. It may be, you fucking wait 12 months and then you do the work. But is there something that you've worked on or since learning this that you can do up top be, to sort of maybe see through it, figure out what you're projecting, what's real? I mean, obviously there's communication, but I think sometimes, especially for people listening to the show, it's like we're all doing the work, hopefully, right? And and hopefully not engaging in spiritual bypass and calling ourselves out on our bullshit. And 
there's a temptation sometimes to overcorrect, right? Codependent to celibate, for example. And sometimes you need it. Sometimes you need that control, alt, delete, reset. But so for example, like last night I meet this girl and on paper, the list is like all the things I've kind of always wanted. And for both of us. And, but we also both have walls up because we've made the exact mistakes that we were just talking about. And there's part of you that goes to make this healthy. You cannot do any of the patterns that you did. You have to move slow, examine what am I projecting? Am I falling in love with the situation? Is there a legitimate connection? Am I fucking horny? And like, what is it, right? Um, But then there's that whimsical romantic side where you're like, but what if this actually is the one? And the first time I fucking put up walls... This actually could have been like the, you know, the, the romantic, let's just fucking do it and live this life and whatever. So is there something that you do beforehand to be like, what am I projecting? What is real? Or do you just like fucking ride that 12 months? And then if you really, if it's love, do the work. So one of the things that I don't see any of the Jungians who I've read talk about this, what I haven't heard any of them give like explicit um, permission to is enjoy that this is how our souls seem to operate. Mm. And like you can enjoy something consciously Mm. and that to try like you cannot, I mean, at least in my understanding, you, it's not that you can bypass this. Right. That, and you wouldn't want to. It seems to be that if any of us feel into those first couple of months yes. when we find a new lover, that everything is more vibrant. Yes. Everything is more potent. Our dreams are more alive. We have energy moving through our body in a way that we haven't had in a long time. And that it's a beautiful part of yeah. being a human and that like enjoy it right but also um can you have the um like ruthless compassionate awareness yes of your meat suit that has been programmed to act in specific ways because one of the most important things for your meat suit is to try to get its genes into the next generation right and then your meat suit is going to use everything at its disposal, meaning your ideas, your favorite movies, um, all the logical fallacies that you use to trick yourself to do certain things. She likes music. I like music. (laughs) Like, yeah, I mean, that's the shit we used to do when we were in high school, right? Right. To try to get you to recombine your genes into the next generation to continue the you know, eons long dance between genes competing against viruses. And that's why sexual reproduction even evolved. And so like the first part is like, I'm not like, I'm not trying to psychoanalyze my condition to the point where I end up broken because I'm not allowing the machine to do the thing that the machine's designed to do. Right. But then on top of that, it's what are my practices that I can do daily to tap into what's my truth? Yep. What is my intuition? What are, what are my coping behaviors when I feel triggered? Yep. What are my patterns that I've done in the past that have led to the same outcomes that I know I'm not calling in anymore? And then can I bring from day one truth, yep. vulnerability, 
And then also uh, for people who hold a masculine energy, and that can be both men and women, but if, if, if your natural polarity is masculine, one of the core things in relationship is to not allow it to, to consume whatever your purpose is in life. You know, that the masculine on some level, for the feminine to feel safe with the masculine, they have to feel the unflinching dedication of the masculine to their authentic vision for whatever it is that they're trying to manifest in the world. And that um, the feminine will unconsciously test that um, focus because it's, it's an indicator of their trustworthiness and to like, can I trust this motherfucker if shit gets really hard? Because yeah. a well, part of females' um, evolutionary biology is they're essentially trying to feel into a man. Uh, is this someone that is essentially worth me giving? You know, the next like five years of my life to? Because in in an evolutionary biological standpoint, to be pregnant, to then give birth. And then the dependency of the newborn on the mother, like that's like a four or five year investment. And like, it's so savage when you really study evolutionary psychology, but men care about fundamentally two things, uh, biological cues of fertility. So that's basically things that are indicators that a woman is young. And then um, if they're going to be the one that I'm going to raise a child with, do I feel that they're... um, not promiscuous. Right. And so men basically care about how does a woman look and whether or not she's promiscuous. Women have evolved to basically be attracted to, you know, does this man have status and resource? Because that's a reflection of, can my child count on him? But also, mm-hmm. is he kind? Yep. Is he trustworthy? Is he funny? Because those are things that would aid in child rearing. Thanks for throwing throwing me a bone with funny. (laughs) (laughs) And so just to connect to your question, it's allowing myself to enjoy that this is a part of human nature. And then also, uh, you know, a function of doing the work is, do I have the courage to tell the truth? Do I know what my patterns are? And do I know how I start to act in my coping behaviors when I feel triggered. Dude, and I think that's like a really brave, cool answer that I haven't heard before. The, the the second half of it, yes, right? Doing the work, identifying the triggers, all that stuff, but also sort of enjoying the ride is, because if you can do it maturely, openly communicating without taking advantage of someone, you know, um, this kind of goes back to what I was saying about maybe if we ended the relationships a little earlier, we could like leave being like, that was fucking great. You know, where if we can enjoy it, can kind of, I don't know, follow your gut, follow the fear, be like, it's scary. I don't know what we're doing, but like, I feel fucking great. And then maybe you realize in a month and a year that it wasn't right. But then being able to sort of communicate that and talk about it and be like, hey, that was awesome. And we both grew from it. And it's not going to be a thing, you know, or, and it will still be hard and sad and and whatever. But yeah, this idea of not having to overcorrect to the point where, because I've always said this, one of the things that I, I desperately try not to do is I don't love when people sort of 
almost brag about their flaws, you know, like I'm just the fucking blackout drunk guy or I'm the fucking jealous <laughs> chick or whatever. And so sometimes I do wonder if this is me kind of being a hypocrite and doing it. But one of the things I do say while doing all the work is I would still kind of rather be a whimsical idiot than someone who's completely jaded. Like I would still, as long as other people aren't getting hurt and I'm, I, I could take the brunt of it. I would still sort of rather be the guy <laughs> to be like, this feels like the one again, you know, instead of just being like, fuck women or women are this or whatever. And I know right. there's a middle ground. But yeah. I- like, cause one of the things I want to offer is one of the top 10 <clears throat> most common, like uh, cognitive fallacies that we use to like destroy ourselves and not see life clearly is called the false dichotomy. Okay. And it's the belief that it's either A or B. Yes, and then totally. A or B tend to be exaggerations. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that like one of the things that is just like sobering about doing the work is really recognizing, okay, how have I contributed to the same outcomes yes. in relationships over and over and over again? And if I can soberly and courageously look at what are my greatest hits in the first month of a, of a relationship Oof. and actually look at, okay, what part of those greatest hits contribute to the same cycle yeah. that has been happening? We got to dig into the B-sides. And yeah. that um, like most of our greatest hits, we learned from the parent that we wanted the most love from which tended to be the parent that for whatever reason was able to give the least amount of love yep. and whatever traumas they got from how they related to their parent that they sought the most love from they then teach us unconsciously through you know the intelligence of their traumatized animal body how do you relate to this type of love and like maybe you had to be charming Maybe you had to be funny. Maybe you had to be the one that held most of the pain and didn't really express clearly when you were upset or when you were hurt. Oh, not to brag to the ladies. My dad was disapproving and angry and my mom was an alcoholic. (laughs) So it's all, it's fucking all of those. Right. And like, for me, like a big part was, um, I, and a lot of it is not what our parents did, but the way we internalized how we thought we had to be. And so I believed I had to be perfect. So be the golden boy, you know, succeed at everything. Um, Don't ever be angry. Don't ever be sad. And then fix me. And that's what I bring to my relationships. You know, and like that's a part of my greatest hits. And I've been through enough of the dances to see that tends to leave me not feeling met and ends in some type of uh, betrayal dance that is a signature of specific things that happened to me in my childhood. And that I'm in a season of, um, so just like you were sharing before we got on the podcast, there's the really easy strategy, which is casual sex. And actually it's not easy, but but we like to believe it's easy. Yeah. And then we all have our version of, oh, this is the one that I can feel that there's really something here and we're going to move towards, we aren't going to talk about it, but we're basically dancing with each other in a way where we're moving towards living together and potentially moving 
Which I just want to add real quick, something that I realized this week, which is so unhealthy, but I'm thrilled I realized it, especially as you're getting older and as like the more dating app horror stories you hear and like the more just like dating is sort of being thrown on our face and social media and how, you know, Instagram is turning into a fucking glorified dating site and all this stuff. There's also part of me that goes, guys want this to be fucking over. You know what I mean? Like, not only am I like, oh, this could be the girl who checks all the boxes, but also get me the fuck out of this. I just right. don't want to think about it. Or And that is absolutely something that I recognize is that a part of my pattern for the last couple of years is um, the little boy in me is running towards that last relationship. Yes. And that a part of that running yes. is uh, I'm not paying attention. And a big part for me that just helps me regulate my day-to-day life is paying attention to my dreams. And uh, I recently got out of a very up and down, but deeply meaningful, but just not right time, right place relationship for the last year and a half. And I had a dream probably about 10 days ago where one of my exes that felt like because of my unconsciousness to some of my patterns was deeply hurt. Uh, She came to me in the dream while I was laying in my bed and she grabbed my foot and she looked me in the eye and she said, don't date anyone for a couple of years. And normally my dreams are symbolic and like I have to interpret them. Like, what does it mean? And (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes they're super direct and I can feel that um, the little boy that wants mom, yeah. wants to run towards that last relationship yes. and cultivate yes. that deep, meaningful, beautiful thing and pour my soul and my energy into it. And that clearly the call of my soul is, I am trying to give you beautiful things to teach you so that when you are ready to be a father, because I know that that's what you want to be, yeah. that you will be properly equipped and that you have lessons and seasons and classrooms to move through. And so I'm actively at the beginning of this stage where um, like one of the things that I'm struggling with is what does that third container look like? Because I do not resonate and don't feel good about the casual hookups. Like ever, ever since I was a kid, like afterwards, I could just feel in my body how much I did not enjoy that. And I think like me and you being, I mean, there's no like non-douchey way to say it, but, you know, uh, trying to be evolved or enlightened or good, uh, whatever it is. um, It's hard sometimes to realize that, and especially not super attracted to like, I just want to fuck different people every night, whatever. there have been times over quarantine over this where I'm like, God, I just want a relationship. I just want to find the one. I just, you know, whatever. And then I get laid or I jerk off and I'm like, oh wait, that was what I, that was all I needed, right. you know? And because you don't, you want to seem above this like biological, like, yeah, sometimes you just want to get laid men and women. Right. And, and I think because at least for me, I am so sort of emotional and used to relationships that jumps to time to get into something as opposed to, you know, maybe I just needed to have like sex with a homie and like, oh, that was great. And now because being alone for the first time, I mean, dudes, I'm just realizing that so much of my life, all the decisions I made, you know, things I didn't do, things I didn't want to do, 
were based on Please Don't Leave Me. Mm. And, you know, another thing with, and this again could sound uh, pretentious, but I'm, I'm, I'm risking it in case it resonates with people, which is some of the problems that I had, the biggest problems stemming from codependency, it's harder to identify because there are things that on paper you can trick yourself into being like, I'm being nice. I'm being the good boyfriend by not going to jujitsu. I'm being the good boyfriend by wanting to take care of her and telling her to quit her job before maybe I'm prepared. I want, you know, th- these all sound like even moving too fast seems like a romantic, like, no, I'm not using you for sex. Like, let's fucking do it. Let's build a life. Like, these seem like big air quotes, good guy things. <laughs> and so it's harder to kind of call yourself out on your bullshit because when we think of an asshole guy, we think of the dude who's like using a chick for sex, banging a bunch of people, like all this stuff. And it's like, no, we're whimsical pixie boys. And, <laughs> but the same, the fucking damage can still be done, right? To you, to your partner, to the relationship. Yeah, so there's quite a few things there. Um, <laughs> have you heard of the book, uh, No More Mr. Nice Guy? No. Uh, definitely recommend it. Okay. Um, and then have you read Way of the Superior Man? Yes. So that's a book that constantly comes up again. Um, one of the things that is uh, good medicine for all the good boys listening yeah. <laughs> is that um, to be nice is, uh, I've never heard it used by someone to describe someone else as someone in their power. Mm. I've never mm. used it, heard, I've never heard it used to describe, I've never heard a woman use it to describe someone that they were actually interested in, you know, where they say he's a nice guy. Like right. it's never been used in that type of way. And so um, one of the things to feel into that the way of the superior man really outlines, and there's parts of that book that I don't agree with, but there are are parts of that book that are game changers is if you are choosing to do anything other than your authentic expression, Mm -hmm. specifically if it's coming from a place of lack, if it's coming from a place of scarcity, if it's coming from a place of fear. Don't leave me, don't leave me, yeah. Right. You are um, teaching your body that you don't trust your intuition. And I think that that does something to your vibration that is felt by your partner. And then one of the things that the way the superior man really articulates is that your woman is going to unconsciously test your ability of your fundamental trust, trustworthiness, yeah. not to her, but to your soul or yeah. to your dharma or to your calling. And that if you don't go to jujitsu, if that's truly your call that day, uh, maybe short term, they'll be happy, but long term, at least what he puts forth in that book and what I've seen play out in my life is there's this like, it's not even conscious, but it's like their animal body is like, I don't really trust this. I need to remove myself a little bit from this. And then if you have a pattern of once you feel that there's a removing, there's more of the Mr. Nice Guy behaviors because it's it's your coping to please don't leave me. It pushes them further away. And that like one of the things that, is why I'm so uh, such an advocate for like evolutionary biology is that it feels like it's the key missing piece of wisdom to the spiritual do the work community. Because one of the things is that 
if you are a healthy male, there is a part of you that is trying to override everything <laughs> about your cognition yeah. to fuck. Right. And that, um, you know, the quote unquote asshole guy, like I fundamentally what changes someone between an asshole and just a assertive male is if they lie. And so one of the invitations a great way to put it. Yeah. is be courageous enough to tell the truth about wherever you're at. And if the place is where you're at, where you have enough self-awareness, where it's like, I can feel that I need to come. Right. You know, like if you have people in your life where you can have that type of honest conversation and that it's a mutually beneficial act for them to be like, all right, yeah. Yeah. That... This is, in theory, something that would make sense because I have yet to find a way to enact it in life where it doesn't get messy. But I think that like one of the things that feels important to articulate is that like the overriding metaphor for how to live life, the one that I like the most, is that you're dancing to a song mm. and that the song is what your soul is beaming every moment and the dance is your current behavior yep. based off of the song and that sometimes a, a relationship is perfectly tuned with where you're at in the mm -hmm. song and that six months from now it's not tuned at all right and you didn't fail that part of the song because the notes changed the fucking notes changed right and you're doing a different thing and one of the things that i struggle with is it's like whenever I try to do the casual dance, um, it tends to unfold in a way where they feel like they're not getting what they want and that they want more from the relationship. And then depending on where they're at, there's all sorts of different responses that they have, you know, going across the entire spectrum of uh, trauma, deepening and then maybe this was the first time in their life where they had the power to articulate yeah. their truth that this wasn't what they wanted and then they left it more whole okay so two things that see are going to seem very unrelated a friends with benefits thing and a dad thing um the friends with benefit thing is off of what you were just talking about which is when you hear that phrase it's usually related to like i mean at least when i hear it i think of the stereotypical you know, guy who wants to fuck, girl who says she's cool with it, then girl develops feelings, then it blows up. Like, it's never something I would confidently pitch. Like, hey, why don't we just do the friends with benefits thing? Because then I look like the stereotypical, like, I just want to fuck guy. Um, and again, I'm talking very broadly with stereotypes and generalities. <laughs> um, and recently, I did it very successfully. And... Because we both had this moment where we talked about that, where I was just like, you know what? I feel really weird pitching this because this is how I feel. I, I feel kind of shame when I pitch this, but I go, we get along so well, are clearly still attracted to each other, have banging sex, and both of us right now are trying to avoid getting into an unhealthy relationship. So why don't like, if we're both feeling it, hit the other one up. If feelings happen on either side or if it doesn't feel right, we don't do it. And like, isn't that better than either of us just like fucking some random at a bar and feeling shitty about it? And for that night, we were like, yeah, it is. Had some of the best sex I've had. Checked in with each other when we got home. Checked in with each other the next day. Um, 
had each other's back and it was fucking great. Don't know if it'll happen again. Uh, who knows? But then you read it. But again, for that time, it was just, I was like, oh, it can actually be a really wonderful thing if you get two people who can just admit, hey, I want to have sex and I'd rather do it with someone I connect with. And right now in this moment, I feel like I am strong enough, confident enough to do it without getting attached. You know, probably not a good idea to have, it was tempting to do it again the next day. And we were like, absolutely not. Because then it'll get into, you know, a pattern and maybe grow. Um, but I really do think it's, it's, it's possible. So there's that. And then the dad thing, bringing it all the way back to when you were talking about um, the super metaphorical dream you had and about sort of <laughs> fulfilling your purpose and all that stuff is two things actually. Um, one, and this is going to sound so silly to people who have been single or have been independent for long stretches of time, but because all of my worth was based in relationship, making her happy, getting her approval, um, even when I would do big things like, you know, when I would retell the story of me getting on Conan, the story was never when I was living out of my car I predicted to a poet in Illinois as a homeless person that I'm going to be the first person on Conan to do like a poetry comedy set. And then it fucking happened. The story was always me and my ex backstage looking at her, you know, I mean, literally looking for like approval. Right. And, uh, and actually I've never told it the other way, like until now I'm like, yeah, that's dope story. Uh, and so that was all of my approval. And when I was alone, and it could be something as big as that or as little as this girl gave me my phone number and now, or gave me her phone number. And now that entire day, I'm just like floating. But being by myself last year, I was in nature. It was the first year I was doing like psilocybin, but sober moments. I had moments. I had one of these the other day, completely sober, listening to music, walking through nature and just the right fucking note in the right song with the right view and I would feel just as lit up and, and tell myself like, well, I went so long without knowing I could have these moments of pure bliss um, completely by myself. And so I don't talk to my dad a ton, but we had a, an incredible conversation on Father's Day and we don't talk about relationships or sex or anything. And I was sort of telling him everything I was going through and you know some of the stuff we've been talking about today. And he was like, so he got divorced from my mom and mom tried to get sober and all this stuff. And then when I was still a teenager, he got remarried. So he's been remarried for 20 years. And they've literally, you know, he just retired. They have a cute little place in Florida and they literally travel the world together and they do dorky stuff and they eat all the food and they've gone to Cuba and Italy and all this stuff. And they're not even like, they're not super rich or they just, they're just doing it right. And even though I've like witnessed that with my eyes, my dad was just like the second half of my life has been my dream life. And you just sort of forget that's possible. You know, like the word divorce or rock bottom, like all these things sound so sort of final where I'm like, well, I got to hurry. And it's like, no, man, like I'm almost 40 and this is the healthiest I've ever been. This is the most in shape I've ever been. My jujitsu is the best it's ever been. My art, the, the, the music, like everything that it's like, yeah, I've, I've, I could, I could meet my fucking quote unquote dream girl at 50. Like, and, 
and still have this. And, you know, I mean, I'm still talking like in the framework of like monogamy, soulmate, the shit like that. But even without that, it's like, there's so much time. There's so much time to completely rebuild or discover who you actually are. And find. I mean, even like, uh, like our relationship or the friends I've made here in Austin, dude, I haven't had guy friends since fucking high school. I haven't had these kind of conversations with men because I was so relationship oriented that I'm like, I got to explore this shit. Like this stuff is going to be so important to shaping me and, and who yeah. I am in a relationship. Remember I came from like the word masculinity was like not a good word. in like my old scene, you know? Um, so I think diving into all of this stuff, it's like, yeah, I mean, it's so much more rewarding than just a bunch of shitty relationships. There's quite a few things that come up. Um, <clears throat> the first one is the friends with benefits part. There's a few things that arise. The first one is um, there's so much taboo, even in the spiritual community, about yeah. having like a friends with benefits type thing. And the story that I hear um, come up in me yeah. and in other people and in people that I'm close to is this idea that if you're doing the work and you're choosing to have casual sexual relationships, you're telling the universe that you're not ready to meet, you know, the one that you are truly calling in that you're going to build your life with. And um, I did mushrooms a couple of days ago. Like I did a pretty heavy dose with uh, my boy Graham. And <laughs> we really got into that idea because it's something that both of us, like we can feel that it's almost this meme in the spiritual zeitgeist. Yeah. And that one of the things that... Um, was just coming through me almost as like a channel because I was so open from the mushrooms is it's like, do you think the universe is looking at you and being like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to bring you the just right person who's going to help you fulfill everything that you have been putting out into the world since you were a child because you had sex. That's like the petty jealous friend who's like, he's getting laid, fuck him. And, and not giving him a ride home. And that it's this feeling of like, that type of momentous, life-shifting, potential future-shifting, multiple timeline healing, yeah, like that thing is coming for you, period. Yeah. That thing is coming for you, period. Well, and, and I know so, you have other stuff, but I just want to add really quick, uh, that's like a really beautiful spiritual way to look at it. I would even say pragmatically, at least how I felt, where it's like, if I just need to get laid and I'm with a homie who also just needs to get laid, I feel like that's actually a really responsible thing to do. And by just sort of knowing your body as opposed to holding it up. And then maybe you end up in a shitty relationship because you're clingy and grabby and like reaching for it. Um, yeah, I, th right. I, I think that advice is like sort of awful. And that um, one of the, you know, to go back to the musical metaphor, which is what's your truth today? And mm -hmm having the height or having the foresight of being able to create responsible containers if you're going to play with combustible material mm. and like having sex with someone that you have a connection with is a combustible material mm -hmm. having the foresight to understand we shouldn't do this again tomorrow without us taking some space and really feeling into what this might be and i love that you frame it as friends with benefits and you two only slept together once after having created that container, which feels like where it feels like it gets messy 
is how most people tend to use the friends with benefits container, which is it's normally a man saying, um, I don't want to invest any energy in this other than sexual. Are you down with that? And then it normally tends to be a woman who genuinely is connected to the guy in some way. And she is actively having to deal with her urge of wanting it to be more committed, but that she is also a sovereign being who gets to choose whether or not this is something that she wants to do. And this is a really important point that like something that I have shame around admitting, and it feels it's actually a manifestation of misogyny is that there's this part of me that feels like even if I express the truth upfront fully and that they have informed consent mm -hmm. and they consent that they're still hurting themselves and that I somehow know better than them. Yep. And so I choose not to do it. Oh, I deal with this a lot. And that um, I do think that that's actually this subtle form of misogyny. And that one of the things to feel into is that when you describe the dynamic in broad archetypical terms at the beginning saying, you know, kind of asshole dude, woman who is not really uh, self-honoring and then it blows up. Yep. I think it only blows up if it's not walked day by day in truth. Mm -hmm. And that one of the things that I've experienced when I tried open a couple of years ago was um, over the course of six months, it was four different women. And um, it, it, it was that same pattern with all four where it was like, I'm not interested in that. And then they text me later saying, okay, I'm curious. And then we sleep together a couple of times. And then it gets to a point where they're not, where they're genuinely not getting what they want from the relationship. And what I found is that of those four, the way that they responded to that third stage was a reflection of where they were at. Mm -hmm. And two of them very clearly like, uh, rose to the occasion to have a honest and compassionate conversation where they honor themselves and they stepped away. Yeah. And then the other two kind of self-imploded at whatever their developmental stage was at dealing with something like that. And that if you're in the season of your life where the genuine call is like, I haven't met that one that I'm going to fucking do the long dance with, you actually get an opportunity to be like a tuning and healing function in the people's lives who become attracted to you. And that the way that you can show up to that is tell the fucking truth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, dude, only, yeah, I mean, you were vulnerable on that. So I'll double down. And, and this could even be, I don't think it'll be controversial, but even the fact that I have to preface it with that means that I feel like it is, which is when you were talking about, you know, feeling guilty and, that uh, internalized misogyny and stuff. Um, I've had uh, women who, so the times I've rejected um, like sleeping with someone have been because of that. I'm like, mm, I feel like you want more and this is just gonna, you're gonna get hurt. And again, I think I'm like protecting. Um, but then if it goes the other way, and maybe I'm a little more into them than they're into me. Or, or like even we want we say we're going to be casual, but they're long distance, whatever it is, like an Instagram thing. Where they 
will treat it like we are in a relationship. Um, like I'm texting all day, calling all day. They're kind of like, where are you if I disappear and whatever. And I think just like uh, a woman wouldn't want, you know, when you describe the kind of like archetype of a bad open relationship where it's like, yeah, we're just sleeping together, but I'm not going to communicate with you or be with you. It's like, well, yeah, no wonder she gets pissed off, right? That's awful. But then conversely, where I feel really shitty is if there's nothing physical, but I'm essentially doing all boyfriend duties when it comes to like communication. Um, and then being so ashamed to be like, I don't want to talk to you all day if we're not going to have sex. Like just feeling like such a fucking caveman yeah. as opposed to just being like, no. And, 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 and the girl this happened with, when I told her that, she was very cool and goes, holy shit, that's exactly what I was doing to you. I was using you as an emotional boyfriend, yeah. um, which like good the fuck on her. Um, and I think that's the only reason I can even like talk about it where it can go on both sides, right? Because- you don't want to be, you don't want to be just fucking someone and then not being there for them emotionally. But then the the less talked about one is you also don't want to be completely using, uh, using someone for all of the emotional love, affection, whatever. If they want something physical or they want something more, but yeah, I, and I think the key there is if they want. Yeah, oh, totally, and, yes. right, and the the big part is like speak your motherfucking truth. Yeah. And one of the things that I feel is like particularly heavy um, as I'm starting to feel into the fact that like I'm open to new relationships for the first time in a long time is that my life is already overwhelmed by the amount of people that I love who love me, who want to connect with me. Like it's already overwhelmed. That's kind of how I feel too, yeah. And that even opening up any type of casual relationship um, in order for me to be in integrity with myself would demand a certain amount of presence and a certain amount of time. And that I can feel just in the last couple of weeks, like I have felt the energy from a couple of women in person where it's like, there's something here and I'm like down to do the dance and yeah. I recognize that you're not blah, 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 but that I can feel that there's this shutdown in my body. And that the shutdown is that the biological part is like, you know, the wolf howling at the Go moon. you fool, yeah. And then my, what I feel like is my heart is like, I can feel that I am not ready or even capable of giving any type of additional energy to anyone new in my life. Like I'm not even connecting with my homies. Right. To the level that like, I, I simply just don't have time to. Dude, you just, uh, you just cracked something open for me which is I think another reason that when I meet certain people, this temptation to go really fast is I want to, I think I can do both of those things. Where if I meet someone who's like, yeah, I'm like spiritual and jujitsu and I just want to make like content that helps people. Then I'm just like, let's do it together. So, so I don't actually take time away from my shit. You know what I mean? Where it's like, oh, I can like, let's just team up. And fucking let's do it without, you know, and I've known him for like a fucking week or something. Um, we're trying to have your cake and eat it too. Um, and again, that story is great. Like having a partner where you can do that shit with, that sounds awesome. But then you forget there's also 
a lot of other shit uh, that goes along with it. Or sometimes I'll even, the other day I had a day where I just, I fucking killed everything, man. Like the music project, the podcast, I was feeling like, hey, I can, my mental health was good. So I was like answering DMs on Instagram and like really helping people and registering their compliments instead of actually just being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like actually like reading it and be like, oh, I'm actually like doing something. And I went out just by myself. I was like, I'm gonna go fucking see In the Heights by myself and like take myself out to dinner. And definitely being a little judgmental, I'm probably projecting a little bit, but like seeing these couples like just bickering, I forgot that's a thing that happens because when you're lonely and you're on Instagram and you see honeymoon pictures or the jujitsu couple like sparring at home and you're just like, oh my God, relationships are incredible, right? I don't see any of that on my <laughs> <laughs> I do. Um, and as I'm getting older, I'm like honing in less on like single girl's ass and more on like cute family with dog. When I'm like, <laughs> yeah. like, that's my porn now. I'm like, yeah, that's what I want. A little it's definitely with my wife. fat asses for me right now, <laughs> for where I'm at. And, uh, and so, but then you just, when you're fantasizing and when you're looking at the other and the grass is greener stuff, I just forget about God. A lot of the times I even went to my mo- the movies with my girl. We were like fighting on the way into the movie, just about dumb shit and like that's cool and that's part of a relationship but also remember that's there and that would i rather right now be helping other people when i can and figuring out who the fuck i am or arguing over do we want to see you know in the heights or the john krasinski poor flick you know what i mean (laughs) yeah and there's a new layer that has come in for me for the last i mean really it's been with me for the last couple of years but it's like I feel such a strong call to um, show up to my times, mm-hmm. like to the times in the way that I know that I'm capable of and to the degree that my soul is asking my ego to do it. And that I know that a part of that is being a father and a part of that is, ha- is having children and having a wife and creating a family. And that it's not just to have the relationship. It's also to set up the next four and five generations. Right. And also to do it in a way where I can contribute to what is happening in the world that can help help steer what the culture is doing a little bit more towards happiness and a little bit more away from disease and sickness yeah. and illness. And that there's this like, um, there is this call to learn how to be in relationship, not just for the relationship, but that that's a beautiful part of it, but that it's actually almost this like fundamental uh, transformation point that will enter me into, you know, this part of my life that I can feel my ego is trying to rush towards. Yeah. See, that's some bullshit I would say on a first date and then be like, why are we moving so fast? Right. Yeah. And that my heart, or the intelligence of the thing in me that dreams is really trying to make it clear to me, like, bruh, this stage that you're entering is is the thing that is helping you get there and it's not running into the next relationship. Dude, that and- is, that's exactly how I feel. That's exactly what I've been going through this year. And when it hits, it hits so hard. And then when loneliness hits, it hits equally hard to the point where I will just like, forget that. But if I actually 
stand still, take deep breaths, think about what has lit me up, why was I by myself when it happened? It, it, it's all, it's all stuff I've done on my own, like figuring this out. And not only that, but a relationship, at least with who I was, would have stopped it. And then it would have been my fault. Um, and so it's like, okay, how can I, you know, remember that? It, it's like when you, uh, when you don't want to go to the gym and your body knows every time you go, you feel better. I've never gone to the gym and been like, oh, that, I shouldn't have fucking done that shit. Like you feel great. Um, you always feel great when you do the healthy thing. But when you're in that moment of laziness, loneliness, sadness, whatever it is, reminding yourself like, hey, man, we're going to feel better if we just stay strong. Um, and, then, and then also, like we've been talking about this whole time, just being inundated with it, being inundated with sex, uh, happy couples, um, all this stuff. And, and, and being strong enough to say, hey, I'm, I'm more than, than that. I am doing good on my own for way more people right now because, um, because I'm standing in my truth, you know? Yeah, and the thing to relax into the poetic part of all of this is that this next moment has never existed before. And in this next moment, it's it's the bleeding edge of the universe unfolding into whatever the universe is doing. And that in every moment, there's a new opportunity to feel and act and speak whatever your truth is. And that maybe the truth today, you know, is that you want X type of relationship. And yeah. then maybe the truth tomorrow is that you want Y type of relationship. And that a part of the human dance is like, you don't get to choose who your heart calls you to. Right. And so there's an intelligence. And maybe the intelligence is that it's drawing you towards suffering so you can finally grieve something and learn something mm. and transform in a way that Oof. you haven't. Yeah. And maybe it's calling you towards a fucking peach mm. just to eat the peach and to enjoy eating the peach. And that that is the genuine call in this moment. And it feels like fundamentally when it comes down to relationships, the thing that navigates the whole fucking thing is, have you done the work to be able to feel your truth in this moment? Mm -hmm. And then are you courageous enough to articulate the truth? And then can you be compassionate in receiving whatever the responses of your truth? Because you only get to the point in the relationship where you feel like this would have been better if it ended a year ago, if you spent over a year not telling the truth. Totally. That's really well said. I also love those two options. It's like a really shitty game show. Like, do you want suffering or a peach? It's like, I mean, the peach. Give me the fucking peach. But clearly most of us, no. Like, clearly most of I us, know. like, if you find yourself in the same uh suffering as the last relationship it's because um you didn't go as deeply into this ex experience with the suffering and that the suffering is fundamentally calling you to grieve something from your past that if you grieved it you would be transformed and yeah. then your heart would call in something different because it's not like if you are going through the same relational patterns, it's because fundamentally you haven't grieved the death of something that's happened in the past and you're clinging to the same, you know, totally energy. Yeah. And it, it's, you know, it's so wild that 
frame that way, you just go, why the f- who wouldn't want to fix that? Who wouldn't want to take a little time to stop repeating these like torturous patterns, right? It's like if you're in jujitsu and you keep getting choked out the same way, it's like you could just go, I'm just going to go harder. Or you could ask the dude and be like, hey, what do I keep doing? And they're like, every time I do this, you turn away and I take your back. This is a great fucking point is if you get to a point where you have shown up to your past relationships in a way where you at least have an open line of dialogue, something incredibly powerful can be, hey, I'm in a season of really reflecting on my patterns. And, um, you know, you know me more intimately than almost anyone that I've ever been with. Um, I'm really looking to become aware of what are my patterns in relationships that uh, contributed to, you know, the ending or the suffering. And, um, you know, I really invite you to be brave with the truth. And man... If we all did that practice, right? the uh, information that would be in front of us, like if we wrote it down, would be so startling to our nervous system that we would realize why we choose the suffering. Mm. You know, because like, I forget what it was, but something, no, I remember now. Um, So one of my patterns in relationship because of things that happened between my mom and my dad is I have this, I'm comfortable because it's what's known in feeling betrayed. And it plays out in my relationships. And I I had this one relationship a couple of years ago where the moment we met, there was a super deep connection. And she was so in her truth that from day one, she was expressing I'm not ready to be in a relationship, but I feel something with you, but I'm not ready to be in a relationship. And because my unconscious pattern of feeling betrayed was so strong, I essentially, whenever we would talk, I would just not hear that part. And then after a couple of months, when it got to the point where she could feel that I was almost like energetically screaming, please be with me, please be with me. We had this really honest dinner where she from my perspective, was completely abandoning me. Mm -hmm. And it was such a painful experience for me that I had to call in like spiritual mentors in the moment to like step into my body and to allow me to be calm while my inner boy was having a nervous breakdown. And then I go home that night and I write this really long letter that I send to her explaining like how hurt I am. And um, we stopped talking. And... um, we reconnected um, like as friends and she was able to express over dinner. Like, cause one of the things I was expressing to her is I don't ever feel like I was the one who betrayed right. somebody. And she was like, well, this might be hard to hear, but I actually felt betrayed by you here at when we had this dinner because I'd shared with you the entire time that I wasn't ready. And then once I, rearticulated what I had already told you, you stopped talking to me. Right. And I felt betrayed. And right. from my perspective, that was a complete foreground, background reversal where I realized, holy shit, I was so blind, mm-hmm. so blind because of my patterns that I fundamentally couldn't see how I betrayed yep. one of my closest friends at that time. And that 
it's kind of hard to articulate, but like true shadow work is shit that you cannot see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like if you're talking about it, it's not your shadow. No, you're right. Because like, even as I have been talking more openly about like the codependency and reading about it, I'm like, I can still see myself making some of these mistakes just because I'm more confidently using like words that are part of it for sure. Part of it, but a hundred percent, it's like there's deeper shit at play. And there's something just like inarticulably vulnerable feeling when you have one of those patterns shown to you, like one of the things that like is the core of paranoia that really um, fucks with me when I accidentally take too much of an edible is this feeling of like, there is something that I have been fundamentally doing wrong that is so loud that I've never been able to see and I can feel it, Mm -hmm. but I can't see it. And that that's what those type of moments um, reveal. And it's, it's that, and to really feel that requires a death. Yeah. You know, like the death of the good boy version of me who's like, I've never, you know, and I'm sure that there are people. Yeah, I got to kill that part off of me too. <laughs> if I have ex-partners listening to this podcast, I'm sure there's going to be a whole litany of like, you fucking naive, <laughs> you fucking naive idiot. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, this is a call that if they hear that, like, send me the patterns. Yeah. But that that's that's why we continue to choose the same suffering. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> oh, so much. All right. Do you want to plug the things that you're doing next? Yeah. If, uh, <laughs> if you want to have strictly casual sex with me, you can find me on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at, <laughs> at the Jamie Kilstein. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I have a podcast. Um, not surprisingly, it's called uh, A Fuck-Up's Guide to Self-Help uh, that Godsy's been on and uh, talk very much like this, about stuff like this. And uh, and then if, you, if you're a fighter, I have a jiu-jitsu podcast as well called Rear Naked Radio. And what I like about that podcast for fighters, especially new people, is it's sort of become a community of like not the meatheads, like a lot of women, a lot of LGBT people of color, like, but we can still be badasses and talk about fighting, but also mental health and stuff like that. Um, yeah, right now, like uh, stand-ups on hold, but I have this huge music project that uh, is, looks like it'll be out uh, next year. So I would just it's say, so dope. dude, it's, I'm so excited about, it. I mean, literally, and this is a whole nother podcast, but at the more, you really helped me with this. Uh, when you, right before you came out with your journaling program and you came on my podcast and talked about the Damon and following the, when that was when my life, like shit was hitting the fan and I was like, fuck it over COVID. And I like rebought a guitar and started writing this stuff and then literally pitched it to musical heroes of mine who I had never met and just believed in it, followed it, said yes, was like, fuck it, I'll send it out. And now all of them are on the project and it's gonna be a thing. Um, That's beautiful, brother. Yeah, so the shit, uh, it works, it happens. Um, I gotta start doing the dream stuff again. Um, Yeah, so right now on uh, Instagram, uh, because so much of my living is the jujitsu podcast, it's a lot of like jujitsu comedy sketches, but the stories are all just mental health stuff and me petting dogs and shit like that. So you can follow me on Instagram at the Jamie Kilstein. And uh, I'm off fucking Facebook and Twitter and anything toxic and 
you know, Instagram's just, that's my happy place. So jamiehilsteinpodcast.com for both those podcasts and then Instagram at the Jamie Hilstein. Dude, it's been really dope to see just in the year and a half that I've known you, um, seeing you come more and more into like uh, being authentically masculine in a way that feels healthy and healing for you, which Thanks, I know for right. your personal dance, you know, has been a long and hard road. Yeah. And that it feels like one of the core aspects of mental illness is when you feel shame about being authentic. Mm-hmm. And if you have testicles, mm-hmm. you have certain things happening inside of your body and your psyche that uh, our culture, or at least parts of our culture, has been shaming recently yeah. with due reason because of its uh, shadow expression for hundreds and hundreds of years. But it feels like a huge part of just your personal liberation that is also a reflection of a lot of men is that there's a place where it's okay to be aggressive in your life. Mm -hmm. There's a place where being authentically masculine is okay. And that to deny that will add to your mental illness. Yeah. And this is like a whole another podcast that we can do down the line about social media. And like, you don't like saying something like that doesn't mean you have to. And it's funny because I was talking about overcorrecting in relationships, but go in the opposite way where you're like, therefore, fuck feminists or fuck women or whatever. It's like, you should be able, the conversations we should be able to have are good masculinity is good. Toxic masculinity is also real and bad. That women suffer tremendously in ways that men would never be able to understand. But also uh, men go through some shit and it doesn't have to be. And I feel like on social media, we only talk about like the stuff with the men when it's, I was just talking about this with um, a female fighter on the jiu-jitsu podcast. It's like, you'll be talking about some horrible assault a woman went through. And suddenly a guy jumps on and is like, what about men who are raped? And it's like, well, yeah, that's bad. But do you actually care about it? Are you actually doing anything about it? Or are you trying to silence the woman right now? Or this just happened to black people. But what about white people? Also bad, right? However, we're not talking about that right now. And I think that what I would love the audience to think about, because it happens in our communities as well, is just to, if you're actually talking about all lives or looking out for all people, figure out when you're saying it and why you're saying it. And there are gonna be some times where people who don't look like you or don't act like you need your empathy and compassion and support and voice. Um, And then there are gonna be other times when, um, yeah, you can be like, ooh, yeah, I've totally been like shamed about like masculinity stuff. And like, it's okay to be struggling with that as well. And that doesn't mean that I hate women or suddenly the play, I don't care about the plight of women. Like we can do all these things um, when we're not just hyperbolically shouting at each other on fucking Twitter. Right. No one in their dharma is commenting on an Instagram post. That's a fucking great way to end the show. Yeah, exactly. And that this is something that I actually feel super called to do with this podcast is actually create a mini series that starts to give people the tools to begin to think more clearly in this time when Mm -hmm. it's the most polluted it's ever been in our information ecology. And that fundamentally, it feels like the guiding metaphor is... Um, whenever anyone is saying anything on any topic, they are drawing with crayons on a piece of white paper and saying that this is the world. Mm. It's always incomplete. Mm-hmm. It's mostly wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yours included. Yeah. 
And that instead of holding up your shitty crayon drawing and screaming that the blue is wrong and it should be red, like step one is, can you feel into the fact that there's a little boy or a little girl in front of you who's trying to show mom or dad through you that they drew something? Mm. Like, can you actually listen and appreciate what is there? Mm -hmm. What are the beautiful intentions that brought it there? And then can you meaningfully add to their drawing before you start shouting about your shitty drawing that is also mostly wrong? (laughs) Yeah. And like what most people are doing on social media is when they see anyone having any type of airtime or platform putting up any type of drawing, they're just screaming about their drawing. And really, they're just taking one line out of their drawing and throwing it into the comment section basically saying like, Fuck you. And also doing the exact same thing that they complain about. You know, when I was shouting about, you know, all the super woke stuff and people were like, oh, look, the like, the libs triggered or whatever. It's like, well, those same people are coming into my comment section if I post something about like George Floyd being killed and they're screaming unprompted. And it's like, well, now it looks like you're being triggered too. We're all doing the same shit. We're all reacting the same way. And I think when you can have like, when you can see that and when you can see like, ooh, we're all a little, we're all kind of hypocrites. We're all a little misguided. We're all confused. We're all kind of looking out for us. And then turn that into how can I um, just be there for everybody and instead or, or, or show support or empathy or whatever. I think that that's kind of the path we should be going down. I love you, brother. Thank I you love so you much so much, dude. On. This is great. Yeah, thank you.